This is Angel Insights brought to you by Syndicate Room. This is the podcast that dives inside the world of early stage tech investing to reveal the tips, tactics and strategies of some of the best investors in the industry. And joining me today, I'm delighted to welcome Paul Arnold. Paul is the founder of Switch Ventures, a seed stage venture fund, where he takes a very data-driven approach to founders and how they can be evaluated, which we'll deep dive more on in the show. And prior to Switch, Paul was a senior executive at AppDirect, where he helped build it from a small startup into the gigantic unicorn that it is today with its $1 billion plus valuation. Uh, And he saw all the incredible takeaways that come with watching a company like AppDirect scale into hyper-growth mode. And before AppDirect, Paul was with the the one and only McKinsey and Company in Silicon Valley. However, enough from me, so I'm delighted to welcome Paul Arnold at Switch Ventures. Paul, a huge welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Now, I want to start off today by hearing a quick two to three minute snapshot of how you made your way into the world of early stage tech investing. Yeah, no, happy to talk about it. Um, so I came out here to Silicon Valley um, uh, knowing that I wanted to be involved in startups. Uh, I had a strong interest in startups and venture and what was going on. I had a chance when I was uh, back in New York in, in the early 2000s to, um, to work for a startup and, and kind of caught the bug there. Um, and so I came out here uh, out of school, joined McKinsey um, in the Silicon Valley office uh, as a way to kind of cut my business shops for a little while. Uh, you know, spend some time around sort of the tech, uh, the tech ecosystem, uh, with the plan of, plan of moving over to a startup, uh, at some point. Um, and so I was there for several years and had the chance to join a, a small startup called AppDirect, uh, which was about a 20 person company or so, uh, fresh off a series A round with plans to scale up. And I joined as sort of the, the first business executive hire to that team and, and I had the great fortune of, uh, it being just an awesome company. Um, so in the, Time I was there, we went through uh, extremely rapid scaling. You know, I, I got to lead lead several of the teams. I led business operations uh, and, and kind of operations generally across the whole company, and uh, specifically led about four other teams as we as we scaled up to um, to, to, a, to a quite meaningful company. Um, you know, one of the, one of the unicorns, I, I guess now. Um, and so that was exciting time to go through that hyper growth uh, to see the challenges of. Um, you know, uh, uh, everything from a kind of a 20 person company to a several hundred person company and, and the many different phases you go through, um, as an executive and a manager and a leader, um, uh, to take a company through those cycles. Uh, and while I was there, I was uh, making angel investments. I was very interested in, in what was going on in venture. Um, and I was kind of just writing little checks out of my bank account and realizing, uh, that I had a very serious interest in taking that more seriously. Um, I launched sort of a proof of concepts fund, uh, on my own and, um, that was about two and a half years ago and started making investments, started dialing in my approach to startups, started, you know, kind of building my track record and seeing how deals get done and, and building my own sort of sensibilities about how I wanted to go about this. Um, which, you know, in short, you know, it ended up being a very sort of data driven predictive analytics uh, type of approach to founders, um, investing in the seed stage. Uh, and today I've made 25 investments across about 15 companies. Um, and uh, you know as a whole they're doing they're doing pretty well so it's 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 been a really enjoyable journey so i have so much to unpack there but let's start with your time in operations and i want to hear you said about this hyper growth scaling that you achieved uh, when in operations so what were the big lessons that you took from watching the company you were with scale into hyper growth mode 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, the, there, there are all these kind of phases on the, the kind of a, of maturity that, that a company goes through. And, and you can, you know, all sorts of organizational scholars at business schools write about these things. But, you know, it's so abstracted that, you know, when you're at a startup, you go through these phases, um, incredibly rapidly. You don't spend sort of many years in, in kind of startup phase and many years in kind of growth. You know, you, you sort of have to reinvent yourself constantly. Um, so for, you know, for us as we were growing, um, you know, I think, uh, we went from 20 to 120 within, within like a year and a half. Um, you know, the org charts got reinvented like five times. Uh, people's roles shifted so often. Um, you know, sometimes narrow or sometimes, uh, uh, broader, sometimes moving to new teams. Uh, we, we took very broad roles that we broke down to very specialized roles. And so with all that, there's, there's a whole lot of kind of process. A whole lot of you know thinking about how do you get things done? How do you split teams up? How do you organize people to work effectively? How do you how do you get formal? Um, you know, which you know, a, a small startup is not not very formal because everybody's kind of sitting around a table. But as soon as you've got a couple hundred people, uh, you have to have a lot of kind of rules and systems and processes in place to to make sure that you're still getting things done well. And you know, it's just this aggressive and rapid kind of. Uh, process of reinvention and and it's kind of running running fast on that on that treadmill to to keep up with it and and kind of see where the where the long-term plan is of, of what you want to be running like when you when you really are big and do you find that churn in employees concerning them when you're an investor in them when you see them scaling into hyper growth and there is a large amount of churn internally be it in roles leaving or just internally switching uh, does that concern you you know, it, it, it depends. So, it, you know, to, you said two things and I, one of them, which is that people are changing roles a lot. That doesn't concern me at all. You know, if it's kind of a nimble, a nimble, uh, team, um, and you have leadership that is not kind of spinning their wheels, but, but purposefully kind of iterating on their organizational structure, that, that's great. That's awesome. And, and if you have employees who can move around into different roles, uh, over time as the organizational needs change or you're growing so fast, that's great. Well, we, we didn't have the staff direct, um, but, but many companies do, which is turn, the turn of people leaving. That, that, that definitely is concerning. Um, and some of that is good and some of that's natural. Uh, and some of that you want, but you don't want, you won't want to see very much. It's, it's kind of a red flag of something going on. Have you ever seen any founder disagreements with any of your investments in terms of actually, uh, founders breaking up? Uh, you know, I haven't had any founders breaking up. Uh, and in general, the, the founders in my portfolio get along, uh, get along fairly well. Um, to the degree there have been kind of mild tensions, they've, they've been resolved. It's certainly, it's certainly as an investor something you worry about quite a lot. I've thought about it a lot making investments, whether the team dynamics are kind of genuine and lasting. Um, and when companies are going to their, I'm investing in seed. When I see companies going to their series A and B, it's often a big topic on the diligence calls with the follow on investors. Um, really getting to understand, um, you know, what, what drives the, the founders to be able to work together. Um, so I've been fortunate to have not to have a nasty one, but it's it's certainly a worst case scenario. And how much do you agree with the founder market fit analysis that we often hear today with the founder kind of being highly aligned to the market that they're operating in? Because often I speak to VCs turned operators who've simply kind of found a market opportunity in VC and then solved it as a founder, not really implying founder market fit. So how do you approach founder market fit? You know, I tend to, I, I do tend to think that, um, founder market fit is, you know, most of my companies have founder market fit. Uh, and, and I, I, when I see it, um, it's a positive thing. If I see somebody coming in totally from the side, um, I have to really understand why they're coming into a totally new industry. 
Um, but most of my companies, and, and, and largely it's just because you, you do what you know. Um, you know, so Policy Genius is, is a company where the founders came out of the insurance practice of, uh, of McKinsey and have been doing a lot of work for insurance and, and saw problems in that industry. Modes, a company that um, it was a data science team at Yammer that spun out, and they thought that data science teams should work differently, and they had all this firsthand experience. Um, you know, Danielle at Mattermark uh, kind of came out of a journalistic background where she was digging into all this research on, on on startups to write her stories and realized that there wasn't a good database out there. So I, I, I tend to I, I tend to see a lot of founder market fit, and it's it's almost just natural. But when you don't see it, and you you do have to wonder if the person actually understands understands what they're getting into. Would you invest if you didn't potentially see it? So if I was founding a uh, elderly um, care home software and it made no relevance to me, but I was a brilliant technologist, would that concern you? I, you know, I don't want to make hard and fast rules, but it certainly raises the bar. Yeah, um, it, it's something I have to get into then to understand it. Yeah, absolutely. And you said about the tester fund there uh, that you started with, and I'm intrigued to hear about the strategy that you employed from from that start in terms of kind of check size. Was it a was it a rigid check size to start with, and and what type of cadence did you go for investing? Yeah, um, it was you know the check sizes were small um, because it was sort of a you know proof of concepts fund, um, just sort of building the record. So I was writing sort of fifty thousand dollar tight checks that wasn't super rigid, but that was kind of a, you know the numbers swung around there. So so not uh, terribly large checks, but I was trying to get in the right deals um, uh, that I would want to get into writing writing larger checks later. The cadence was about uh, about ten investments a year um, over that time, and that that included uh, initial investments, um, mostly at the seed stage, and some at the pro rata stage. Um, you know, this the story, I guess, of, of you know, kind of the journey through that uh, proof of concepts fund was. Yeah, I largely started out doing what I knew best in terms of industry. So I was investing in things that were really kind of close to home and that I understood well, enterprise SaaS or data or some of these markets I had, I had a real kind of intuitive personal grasp on. Over time, that really evolved into a kind of a people-first strategy, which was really highly informed by uh, a lot of data analytics work. So, you know, we, we spent about six months building out a database for the fund, working with a data science team, some of my, some of my friends at Mode and, um, uh, and, and a team in India and, and, and some folks here, some other folks here as well, and making a lot of kind of predictive analysis about what type of founders do well and what type of founders we think will do well in the future. And, and perhaps it's just my way of thinking. You know, probability was kind of my favorite class in college. And <laughs> I always am trying to get my, my hands around these numbers, you know, to try to try to make all these, you know, intuitive feelings and senses and conventional wisdoms concrete. What, what conventional and, wisdoms did you come to on the founder? Enough. You know, there's a lot. So there's there's certain groups I bet on big. Um, so McKinsey alumni are one that I tell people often I bet on really large because um, they dramatically outperform. Um, but there's there's there you know part of that's talent, part of it's all these different reasons. But um, part of it's also that like the landscapes shifted. You have so you'll have a conventional wisdom that uh, all these large companies are built by engineers. And if you talk to old guard VCs, um, you know folks who came up especially in the '90s or something that they'll 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 tell you that that's the way to bet. Well, it's not so true anymore. Um, you, a lot of these biggest and best companies are being built by business leaders or, or sort of consumer, uh, you know, insight marketing driven, um, folks, uh, certain types of companies that the tech side of the equations actually become a lot easier. So if you're building an, an e-commerce site and you have tremendous insight about, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, subscription model of e-commerce or something like that, that there, there's a real marketing driven insight that's building your business. 
more than more than tech. And so I think that you know a conventional wisdom that was clearly upset was was what type of people are actually found in these types of companies. And, you know, not to overstate it, engineers are still hugely important if you're building a database company or something. But it, it's that type of stuff that I was sort of really sussing out. Absolutely, absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and I think McKinsey's hiring strategy is kind of so high that it does lead to massively increased probability. Uh, but I, you said about the check size there being about 50k. I'm intrigued at that size. How much of a role does valuation play when it comes down to the investment decision making process for you? Yeah, and, and and those check sizes have 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 increased meaningfully um, since since kind of the, I first started. But uh, valuation matters, um, and it and it matters more in 2016 uh, than it might have, um, you know, uh, for everybody in the market than it might have sort of a year and a half ago. Um, it matters. Everybody says you don't want to miss Facebook because of uh, valuation, and and certainly there were investors that did make that mistake. Um, but for for most companies, you have to have kind of a, a bit of sensibility about it. Um, and you have to realize that if you're consistently overpaying, you're going to consistently underperform uh, on the back end. Um, and so it's certainly part of the conversation. I certainly have conversations with founders where I'm really excited about their idea, but the valuation feels like a no-go. We have that conversation. And uh, often, often we're able to kind of come into a, something that works for both of us. You know, I think it's kind of foolish to, to not be paying attention. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and kind of talking about, you said that the check size variance and you did do 50 and now you do much more, uh, fantastic. But I, I'm intrigued to talk about that division then between angel and VC where you are today uh, and discuss the mindset shift that occurs between the two and how that changes for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, what <laughs> the biggest change is, um, almost administrative uh, of kind of, you know, dealing with all the dynamics of actually having a fund, the legal aspects and the accounting aspects. Um, uh, the regulatory compliance. There's there's sort of a big chunk of that type of stuff that gets added to your plate. That uh, as an angel, you have the freedom to to not think about, <laughs> um, but it's just sort of a necessary part of of, of 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 having a fund. So that's a big part. There's you know, and there there's a heavy responsibility that comes with having other people's money. Um, I think as well, which is sort of informs your mindset. Um, uh, you know, you want to be a, a very good steward of it, and I think that's always always in mind. And and then I want to talk. You said about twenty five investments into 15 companies so it suggests 10 follow-on investments and i had a guest on the show the other day who said all all early stage investors have to follow on they have an obligation to follow on do you agree with that and what's your strategy towards follow-on funding I, I wouldn't say I agree with that. Um, and my strategy is not to always follow on. Uh, you know, conversely, a lot of people say their strategy is to never follow on, um, you know, which is another kind of end of the continuum, I suppose. For me, I don't worry too much about signaling risk. I think it, it gets overstated a little bit. I, I, I've not been in a deal where, let's say, there's, you know, a lead's going to come in on a later round for, let's say, eight million bucks and it's a nine or $10 million round. That deal doesn't sort of rise or fall based on who follows on, um, that deal kind of is, that conviction is already sort of held by the follow-on investor when, when you're at that point in the conversation. But, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's about sticking with companies that I feel like I can continue to add value to, that there's a good relationship, um, good, good sort of situation of working together and, and helping to build the company. And so I, you know, I do selectively follow on. And I'd love to dive into a quick fire round with you now. So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? 
Yeah, sounds great. So what's your favorite investing resource? This could be a kind of blog, it could be a newsletter, or it could be a book. Oh, great question. So for me, I, I think it would be my database and all my sort of data and analytics um, that, I, that I keep back pocket. For me, that's, that's just fundamental to how I think about my investments. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest challenge to you today investing? Uh, it, it, it's staying on top of all the many things to do and saying no to a lot of great people. As trite, as trite as that sounds, it is, it's not a part of the job I love. Um, but unfortunately you say no to a lot of great people who are probably, you know, many of them will actually build great businesses, but you, you just have to, you have to say no a lot. What's your favorite aspect of the role? Oh, uh, working with entrepreneurs that are, you know, they have big visions, um, and, and they really do want to change the world. And you know, VC is this just amazing job where you get to be involved with so many of them uh, and so many kind of parts of the future that are coming together. It, it's cool. Does increasing lengths of privatization for companies concern you as an early stage investor? It doesn't concern me that much. Um, you know, there's as long as companies can continue to grow in the private markets, um, I'm patient. Um, and, uh, and if they can better grow in the private markets than they can in the public markets, then, then I'm okay with it. And then what aspect of yourself would you most like to improve upon as an investor? And then what do you think is your strongest? Uh, you know, I think my strongest aspect, uh, is, is, is just sort of my ability to relate to people and, and then sort of having a down to earth approach, um, connecting with, with different folks. Uh, you know, and what I'd like to most improve upon is, is, is probably, uh, finding, <laughs> finding more hours in the day. <laughs> is that fair? Yeah. Do you have any productivity hacks and tips for us that will help us find more hours in the day? <laughs> you know, it's, it, send me some of yours. Um, uh, my best one is hiring, hiring folks in India that help out on sort of repetitive tasks. Oh, really? What, what type of tasks? Uh, so I maintain a lot of sort of databases and sort of tracking lists, CRM types of things around founders and startups. And I, I kind of have my own view, which is different than what I have in any sort of tool that's out there. So um, I have a lot of people tracking automated tasks like that. Would you say venture is a science, not an art? No, it's a, it, I think the best venture is both. Okay, absolutely. And then I want to finish today on your latest investment, your public investment, that is, and why you said yes. So my latest investment is in Skyfit which is a mobile app uh, for fitness. It's a bit like uh, SoulCycle uh, meets your earbuds. With uh, You pay a subscription, um, you, ha- you sort of choose your, your workout program, and you have a coach that's coaching you through all your workouts. And it's, it's highly motivating. Um, there's intense loyalty among the early consumers. The uh, company has, 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 is off to a great start and has a great sort of product vision and a very, very loyal fan base. I love using the product. Um, and, uh, and, and I think they got a, a strong team that's, that's going to take it. Paul, it's been absolutely awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Harry. What a fantastic show with Paul and so brilliant to hear his data-driven approach to evaluating founders. And if you'd like to see more from Syndicate Room, then you can head over to www.syndicateroom.com and head over to the Learning Academy where you can find a whole host more early stage investing resources, including podcasts and articles and guides. There's a whole array. So do check that out. Or you can follow us on Syndicate Room at Syndicate Room on Twitter. As always, we so appreciate your support and look very forward to bringing you next week's episode.